If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about everybody's favorite subject. We're talking about taxes. We're talking about accounting. We're talking about how the government gets what they're owed, whether you like it or not. That's one thing you, you can count on. They're going to get their money. And we're talking to Wade Hayes from Arena Games. Wade, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gabe. Glad to be here. Yeah, man, really excited to have you here. Now, you worked as an accountant for a while with the uh, company Ernst & Young, and you were uh, one of the accountants on the Spotify account. And now you've kind of crossed over out of the accounting world and into board games, and you're, you're doing board games as, as your full-time gig. And so I'm really excited to just kind of pick your brain about taxes and the tax code and and all that lovely stuff that most of us just don't know about or understand because that's not the way our brains work. I'm really glad your brain works that way. Before we uh, hit record, you're talking about how you just, you love numbers and you love this stuff. And I am so glad that you love it because I don't, and I need people like you in my life. And so really pumped to get into these uh, topics. But before we do, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. So my name is Wade Hayes, and I got into game design actually due to a little bit of an unfortunate injury. I was uh, at the Naval Academy in the United States, and uh, I played golf there. Uh, and I had hoped to play professionally, but I actually fractured my back. And that kind of left me uh, a little immobile for, for a few years. And during that time, uh, my roommates from the Naval Academy got me into board games. And I just fell in love. It gave me the same um, same feelings that playing golf did, but it was a lot more accessible for someone like me who was injured and couldn't couldn't really do uh, something that physical anymore. Gotcha. And then you became an accountant, and then you decided to basically kind of try to make this your full time gig. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So it was uh, very very exciting. I worked as an accountant for two years in Sweden with uh, Spotify. And that was a really good time, but I decided a few years in that I wanted to do something that I was a little bit more passionate about and excited about. And I think people use the expression, they don't want creative accountants or you don't want a creative accountant. And I felt like I was a little bit of a creative accountant. Uh, so I, I wanted to do something where I could be a little bit more creative on a regular basis. And with my love for games, I felt that that game design was the perfect place for me. So I left and I started Arena Games about a year ago. And then uh, over this past year, I entered the Board Game Design Lab competition where I was really thankful to make the top 10 and have kind of been working since then towards kickstarting my first game. Very cool. All right, man. Well, let's just uh, hop right in to the uh, 
topic at hand, talking about taxes, we're going to break this conversation up into basically two halves. We're going to talk about it from the angle of just as a game designer, if you're not looking to self-publish or become a publishing company or anything like, or anything like that, if you're just a game designer, maybe pitching games to companies trying to license them out, what do taxes look like from that angle? And then the next half, or we'll see what percentage it, it turns into, but anyway, the other side of it, we'll start talking about from the publishing side, if you're going to run Kickstarter campaigns, if you're going to publish your own games or, or even license out somebody else's games. We'll talk about it uh, on the kind of the other half of the episode. But before we get into it, I want to make it abundantly clear that we are not giving you specific legal or accounting advice. Do not take anything we say here as the God's honest truth. Please make sure you reach out to a personal accountant who is familiar with you and your situation and your specific company and your home state and your home country and all that good legal mumbo jumbo. Don't don't trust us in this stuff. We're, we're just giving you ideas. We're giving you guidelines. We're giving you things that we have found or experienced that worked. But please, please make sure you reach out to someone personally who can understand your specific situation. And hopefully that covers our butts here on this uh, podcast. But let's just hop right in. Let's talk about it as a game designer. What should I be thinking about if I'm not going to start a company? What are some of the things I need to be doing? Should I kind of create my own LLC for, for you know, Barrett game design, LLC, you know, something like that? Or, or how should I approach things just from the outset, especially once I'm just getting started? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things that I would recommend to anyone considering licensing a design or just being a game designer is starting a limited liability company. Because I think this does the absolute best job of protecting you as a business owner it effectively just draws a line in the sand and says, these will be my business assets and liabilities. And then these will be my personal assets and liabilities. If I have a problem on the business side, you cannot come after my personal assets, um, which I think is very important for a lot of people, uh, especially those that have you know, homes. You don't want something like that to be taken because you had some type of crazily complicated copyright struggle with, you know, Disney or something uh, that you didn't even think could be possible. Yeah, absolutely. And also let me preface this. Everything we're talking about today is based on the U.S. and the United States tax laws, tax codes, all that kind of thing. If you live in Europe or Australia or anywhere else other than the U.S., obviously you're going to have different things going on. Uh, especially when it comes to like the VAT, you know, the VAT, ta the VAT, whatever, the VAT taxes and all that kind of thing. Uh, so take all this with a grain of salt, especially if you don't live in the U.S. because a lot of these things may not apply to you at all. And I think that's something just to, uh, to be aware of. Okay, so I am a game designer. I've got my little LLC. Now, would you suggest going through a company like LegalZoom.com or what's the best or maybe most cost-effective way to set up an LLC? I think that companies like LegalZoom are great in that they make the process a lot less complicated because though it isn't complicated, it is made much more complicated by each of the state's different rules, regulations, all of their websites look different. But at least in my case, I would say it will be cheaper generally to go directly through your state's website. So whether in Virginia, where I'm from, that's going to be the Virginia State Corporation Commission, uh, you just have to effectively pay a one-time fee as well as a yearly uh, re-upping of that fee um, to maintain your license. 
but that'll be the cheapest way. That said, I think that if you're okay paying an extra, I think it's it's very little. It may be 20 bucks. Uh, it is a lot easier to use a company like LegalZoom. Gotcha. And that yearly fee is something to remember, to be aware of. Uh, it's something I've got a uh, alarm on my computer that lets me know first week of January every year. Hey, don't forget, go pay your filing fee or, or your, you know, your, your yearly re-up for your Georgia state license. And that's just something to be aware of. Cause if you don't, it will go uh, into, I can't remember the name of it, but basically where uh, it's kind of illegal to operate your company because you don't have a license to do so. And you have to pay all these fees and all these, you know, late fees and stuff like that. And so, yeah, definitely want to re- remind yourself somehow, some way. And it's, it's one of those things when you only do something once a year, it's hard to remember it. And uh, yes, yeah, so anything you can do to remind yourself is good. And so what else, what should I be thinking about? I've got my little LLC. I'm good to go. I've got my, my state license. I've paid my fees. Now what? So I think now you have a business, you are a board game designer officially, you have incorporated yourself to where now you're protected should your game design business have to file bankruptcy or something of this sort. But I think at this point, you kind of have some more exciting things that you can start thinking about. Uh, For instance, different things that you can now expense or use to offset your personal income, or sorry, more so your business profit, but it can also be used to offset other incomes. Um, So for instance, let's say you work at home and you have one room in your house that's specifically used for game design. You can deduct certain expenses associated with that room of your house from the profit from your business, or if you're not profitable, just from your income on your 1040 tax return. Uh, Another really great one is business travel expenses. So if you're traveling to conventions, trying to pitch your game to different publishers, those expenses are also uh, deductible from uh, both the profit that your business is hopefully making or your income on your tax return. And then in the same way, even things like if you purchased, say, a board game because you thought it would be really good to get a better idea about a certain mechanic, you can expense that as well, because that's classified as market research, or it falls under marketing expenses. And then that also can flow through onto your tax return uh, as a effectively a deduction. Very cool. And so tell me a little bit more about the home office deduction. What can I deduct? Is it a certain percentage of things? How does it work? Yeah, so the home office deduction is a little bit complicated. You're effectively deducting a percentage of your home expenses attributable to your business. So what that could look like is I live in a little tiny house and I have roughly let's say 20 to we'll say we'll say 20 square feet of room uh, in a 300 square foot home. I can deduct 20 over 300, which, or roughly, we'll just say 5% to make it an even number. 5% of certain expenses like um, air conditioning or electricity or other expenses to keep the office um, operating. So that includes things even like if you bought yourself a an office chair, that you use when you game design or components that you use when you game design. Uh, Those things would also fall into this category of uh, 
office expenses or home office expenses. Uh, it also includes things like the percentage of insurance or utilities or general repairs attributable to that space. So let's say you put a new roof on your house. Um, the percentage of that cost attributable by square footage to the room that your office is in, that would be expensable also. Okay, cool. That, that makes a lot of sense. And that's really good to know. And again, something you can work with your accountant on and figuring out the percentage and how much that actually is. Don't don't just say, well, my roof, co roof costs $10,000. And so I'll just take that right off of my taxes. It's not exactly going to work that way. So make sure you're talking to somebody who can help you figure out the actual dollar amount to save and expense out. Now, what else? What are some other things I need to be thinking about, especially like if I license a game out to a publisher? So I'm a game designer, I got my little company, and now I've signed a game and I made you know maybe $1,000 as an advance, and then I'm going to make 7% or whatever the contract says on the games that are sold. What do I need to be thinking about? How do I make sure to avoid any audits or any run-ins with the IRS? Yeah, so the biggest thing is you're going to want to make certain that you are recording every expense as well as every income. And that's going to be by maintaining really good accounting records. So what I like to do is I like to keep all of my receipts uh, in a single file just so that they're all there. Um, and then I also will record all transactions in a little notebook that's called my, you know, it's a little general ledger where you keep pretty much everything that your business has done. And what that'll allow you to do then is when it comes time to file taxes and to uh, pay taxes on the money you've made during the year, you're going to be able to complete your uh, IRS form 1040 or your individual income tax return. But once you have your LLC and as a game designer, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to also complete Schedule C, which is the part of the return that's specific to uh, business. So it's, it effectively looks like an income statement for a business. So you'll, you'll look at the income, you'll look at expenses, and then you'll net that number and that number will pass back on to your income or onto the return that you file every April 15th, or hopefully you file every, every year. Right. Okay. And that makes, makes a lot of sense. All right. What else should I be thinking about? Any, any other ideas on things that I can expense or things to, to make sure I'm filing. I love the idea of making sure you're writing stuff down or at least having some kind of organizational system. Personally, I use TurboTax and I have my, my business bank account and my PayPal account and everything that kind of feeds into TurboTax. And so anytime I have a transaction, it records it there. And then at the end of the year, you can just download the PDF and it gives you a readout of all the ins and outs and what have you's of the year as far as expenses and you know all the money that came in and was paid for shipping and manufacturing and customers and refunds, all that stuff. So that makes it a lot easier. So, you know, I think I pay like 15 or 20 bucks a month for that. So it's not crazy expensive. And again, that's something else you can expense. Uh, and so it's another thing to, to think about. Uh, anything else that people should be thinking about from the game design side? I think another thing is just being certain to, there's this concept in tax where you want to defer, defer income because it, it allows you to obtain kind of beneficial tax. Um, it's, it's more beneficial from a tax perspective generally to defer income. Um, and that goes both for designers and publishers. So I think uh, just it's worth considering when negotiating your contracts, considering the timing of when the publisher is going to pay you. 
because you don't you would rather not the publisher not pay you say ten thousand dollars on december 31st it would be much better if they were paying you that on january 1st um for tax reasons because then you're not responsible for paying your federal income tax on that income until the next year as opposed to on april 15th now real quick why would that be better why would it be better to wait that extra day obviously you know you, you basically get to wait several months if you're paying quarterly and that's another thing i think we can we can talk about it's like when do i pay taxes but why would it be better to defer aren't you aren't you just going to pay the same amount anyway you are you will end up paying the same amount but there is um there's a very cool business concept called the time value of money which effectively states that uh or it really is just a matter of inflation because the value of money increases over time. So if you're given $10,000 and it's not taxed this exact moment, or it's not taxed as soon, you could invest that money in say uh, an index fund and that money would grow over time, which would then give you more value than if say you had to pay taxes on that money much sooner, you would lose a lot of that base or that, uh, that base money um, to where it would then be less money to invest in the same index fund. So it's more so just a, uh, it's just a general rule um, based on a lot more complicated business and finance that the more you can defer your tax liability, the more the money's worth because you want to hold the money. It's more valuable for you to have that money than it is to give an interest-free loan to the IRS. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I've heard several people talk about this when it comes to your taxes, especially when it comes to like how much money comes out of your paycheck every week. You don't want to overpay that. Like when you get a tax refund from the government, that's not necessarily a good thing. That means you overpaid and the government held that money for potentially a year. And instead of you having it, and like you're saying, maybe investing it or using that money when you needed it, the government was holding on to it for 0% interest. And so that's that's something else just to, to keep in mind. As far as like when to pay taxes, is that a quarterly thing or like how do I how do I know when or tell me about that? Yeah, so it really um, it's a it's a little bit of a tricky tricky thing. I actually I'm currently in a bit of a an argument with another tax person regarding um, because you have both the tax on your business, your profit from the year. So if you're a designer and let's say you made $10,000, that's going to be taxed as part of your annual return. And you may be required to make quarterly payments on that if you if you meet certain criteria, but you are also going to be responsible if this is if you were self-employed uh, for self-employment taxes, um, which may may not be relevant if you have another career. Uh, for instance, let's say you're working as an accountant in the United States, your company will already be withholding uh, Social Security as well as Medicare, which constitute those self-employment taxes. And you'll see those come out of your paycheck every month. But when you're working full-time as a designer, like I am, I have to actually pay those to the government, uh, self-employment and, uh, or sorry, Social Security and Medicare, which is effectively like my contributions to Social Security and my contributions to Medicare um, for the year. So those 
I believe are supposed to be paid on a quarterly basis, but I think there are some ways in which you can also just pay those on an annual basis. Okay. Now you mentioned certain criteria that might make you eligible to not pay quarterly, whatever. Do you know what those are? I would have to actually look those up. Um, it's, it's been a little bit of a, a debate with me and another tax professional for the, for the last few weeks trying to, trying to sort through that. Uh, okay. And so this is another case. Talk to a professional. Go find your own personal accountant. Talk to them and figure things out because you might not have to pay quarterly or you might. And that's definitely something you want to be aware of so you don't get on the wrong side of the government. Uh, anything else that someone needs to be aware of? I think that's as far as the individual, I think the LLC is a very simple business structure. I think so long as you're maintaining very good records and you are ensuring that your expenses and your incomes are all correctly uh, categorized and logged on your tax return, I think you'll be in good shape as as a game designer. I think it does get a little bit more complicated when you're moving into the publishing sphere. Okay. And let's just move into the publishing sphere. Let's talk about as a publisher, am I also going to be setting up as an LLC or what, what should I be thinking about if I'm going to self-publish my games, if I'm, if I'm going to go to Kickstarter, things like that, where do I begin? So I would say for publishers as well, whether you plan on designing or publishing, the best way to start in my opinion, is a limited liability company because of the legal benefits and the separate status that it's given. And it also, for people or for businesses, not incredibly profitable like some of the others in the industry, you know, think Stonemaier Games or something like that. Um, the pass-through or the flow-through taxation that LLCs allow is very good, or it's the most beneficial tax structure for small business. Okay, cool. And is there a certain time that I might want to think about changing to a different uh, type? Yeah. So as a limited liability company and as a um, publisher, there could come a point where you want to change the way in which you pay taxes. And one of the distinct benefits of LLCs is that you have that choice. You can choose to either have all of the income from your business flow through to your personal tax return or your 1040 IRS form 1040, or you can file to be taxed as a corporation, in which case you will pay taxes as a corporation and then distributions from the company to you as the owner will be taxed as your either income or as distributions, uh, which have somewhat more preferential uh, tax benefits. Um, so I can run I can run through a really quick example of this just so that it makes a little bit more sense and doesn't sound like uh, some voodoo tax language that I'm speaking. Um, yeah, go ahead. So if you select to be taxed as a corporation, you will be subject to double taxation, which consists of a flat corporate tax rate, which is currently 21%, as well as any distributions from the company to the owner. So let's say I own this corporation. If I get paid a salary or I get paid dividends, those will be taxed at my income level or whatever my income bracket is for federal tax purposes. Um, 
for many established companies, this is going to be beneficial as retained earnings, which is effectively money that you want to keep in the business or profits held in the business, avoid double taxation. So if I'm a publisher and I'm looking to grow and I have a lot of money coming in from a very successful game I just published, I may want to keep a lot of that money in the business to allow me to, uh, let's say, pay for booths at all of the big conventions that are coming up or travel to a big convention in another country or potentially, I mean, there's a, any number of ideas. Um, but the problem that you see with smaller companies um, once they start to become very profitable is all of the money that they're earning in a given year will be taxed as income to that individual in that year. So if you had an incredibly successful game, you are being taxed not as a corporation, but as a flow through entity, pass through entity. And you may. So, so in other words, yeah. if I made $100,000 on yeah. Kickstarter, the government is going to look at me as if I made $100,000, not just my company, but as if I did it, if I'm an LLC, correct? Exactly. Okay. And, and so then in that case, I might want to do what instead? So if that were the case, and I would say $100,000, you still are fine. You would still likely be in a better place to remain as an LLC filing as an individual, filing taxes as an individual. But oh, okay. if it were, let's say, closer to a million dollars, that's going to be the point at which you're, it's a much more beneficial position to file taxes as a corporation. Because, for example, a million dollars, if you paid that taxes as an individual, you would pay 34% or $340,000. But as a corporation, you would only be paying 21% or $210,000. So the, the numbers really depend. Um, and this decision, I think, is one that's really important to make with a tax professional. But I think you'll know once you're starting to approach it. But um, especially a lot of the bigger uh, bigger companies like Stonemeyer Games, I'm sure, uh, came came to a point after maybe even their first successful campaign where this became a major topic of discussion. Um, and I think it's worth just keeping an eye on because there does come a time where the switch flips and it is going to be better to be a corporation or be taxed as a corporation rather than as an individual. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about tax method as far as cash versus accrual, what do those two things mean? Why should I be aware of them? How is this something that, that's going to help me or hurt me depending on which one I choose? Yeah, so this is something that it does apply to both design, designers to a less extent, but definitely to publishers. Uh, when you choose or when you start a company, you have to choose an accounting method. And there are two types of accounting methods. There's the cash method and the accrual method. The cash method is very simple. It's effectively, you just look at cash. So let's say you had a Kickstarter campaign that started on December 30th and ended on December 31st. You would, on December 31st, have collected, say, $100,000 in cash. That cash would be considered income 
on the day it was received in the same way that, let's say, on January 1st, you paid your manufacturer $50,000. That would be an expense that you would record on the day that the cash changed hands. Um, So that's a basic example of what the cash method looks like. Whereas the accrual method would be, is a little bit more conceptual, but effectively what it says is that you match corresponding incomes with expenses. So you won't recognize income and you won't recognize expense until they match. So in the example we just talked about, it would be much more beneficial for especially board game designers and with the prevalent use of Kickstarter to use the accrual method. Because if you're using the cash method, that $100,000 that you took in on December 31st, that would be taxable in that, that year. And you wouldn't have the expense to offset that income, the $50,000 to manufacture the game that happened on January 1st, because that would be recorded in a different tax period. So the accrual method ensures that your incomes and your expenses match and are able to offset each other to come up with a more true tax number. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because the government is going to see that money as profit. If you bring in 100 grand on December 31st, the government says, oh, you made $100,000. Now, we all know that that is not true because you have the manufacturing costs, you have art and graphic design, you have shipping, fulfillment, all those expenses, but you won't be able to attribute those to, you know, out of that $100,000 or expense those out of that $100,000 if you use the cash method. But if, if you use the accrual method, then in that case, I would not tell the government, well, you have to report it. You still have to say, hey, I made this money, but it basically gets deferred into the next year. And then whenever you ship the game, is that right? Whenever you deliver it to backers, is that when basically everything comes to fruition and then you have to like realize all the numbers and ins exactly. and outs? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's It's on delivery or effectively like, the sale isn't going to be recognized until the product itself is is delivered because that's that's then considered the um, whereas in the cash model the cash changing hands is considered the sale trigger whereas in the accrual model it's the product that trig- tends to trigger the the tax implica- uh, implications yeah that makes a lot of sense and this is something that actually saved me many thousands of dollars last year because I switched from cash to accrual. I didn't even know what that was. When I first started my publishing company way back when, when I was only doing books, long before I was publishing games, I didn't know what this was. And at the time, it didn't really matter because I would sell a book. You know, I would get money. I would give somebody a book. Like It was very right there in that moment. There wasn't a whole lot of, of lead time in between. And I was also dealing with very small numbers back in the day. And so it wasn't that big of a deal. But once I started running Kickstarters and, and making you know $70,000 on the campaign, all of a sudden little more money is changing hands and now it might not be till next year that the game is going to deliver. And so just certain things you need to be thinking about, especially when it comes to Kickstarter and and expenses and income and what the government sees. All right. So what else? I've got my company uh, running Kickstarter campaigns. I've got my accrual method box checked on my paperwork. What else? What are some of the other things I need to be thinking about as far as like, let's talk about taxes, sales tax and, and you know, selling games in certain states. And tell me about how that works. I feel like there's a lot of perhaps gray area or maybe even some misconceptions around sales tax and Kickstarter. How does it all work? Yeah. So this is, this is actually, it's been a very exciting 
area in tax, if you can believe it. Tax isn't normal. Exciting. Exciting <laughs> area in taxes. Not something you hear from normal people, sir. You are not a normal person, and I, I appreciate you. I want you to know how much I appreciate you as a unicorn among us. That uh, There's not very many of you, and uh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, but I, I think uh, this has been something that has been very much so changing, especially with the onset or the uh, birth of e-commerce. Uh, a lot of states have been having a hard time ensuring that they actually capture tax revenue. Uh, or sales tax revenue from purchases because the historical um, trigger for sales tax was uh, what's called physical nexus, or you you had to be present in a state in order to be taxed in that state, which makes sense. Uh, For instance, back in the 1950s, if you had a store in a state, you would have to pay sales tax in the state. Or if you had a factory in the state, you would have to pay sales tax in the state on things sold in that state. Whereas once e-commerce was um, invented, developed, whatever you would like to say, it became possible for a company to sell something in a state where they have no physical nexus or they have they have no physical presence in that state. Um, so for instance, Amazon based in they're based all over now, but uh, let's say they were based in California. They were in, well, they were in Seattle. Seattle, that's it. Um, originally based in Seattle, they could sell something to someone in Virginia, not have any type of distribution center, um, no, no anything in that state and could avoid sales tax that way. And I'm sure everyone appreciated that while it was possible not having to pay sales tax on some online purchases but states very quickly realized that uh, this wasn't going to work and they wanted to collect that tax revenue so nexus uh, effectively there was a lot of hubbub in the government and a lot of policy that was created in order to kind of capture more of this this income for states so they changed the triggers for sales tax to not just include physical presence, but also things like number of transactions is a big one. So let's say you have 200 transactions in a certain state, you may be responsible for sales tax there. And then some states also have a transaction uh, floor or uh, floor ceilings, um, effectively like a limit that if you hit that, you're going to be responsible for sales tax on the purchases and or sales within that state. Uh, the problem and the reason that this gets so confusing is because every single state in the U.S. decided they wanted to have different rules, which is such a hassle. But it is very important, especially if you have a very successful campaign, or even if you have a moderately successful campaign, to look at the states where you have the most both dollar amount value purchases or quantity of purchases and make certain that you don't hit the sales tax triggers for that specific state. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, as far as Kickstarter goes, there's a bit of a debate as far as Kickstarter is not technically a store. And so do you still pay the sales tax? Like, how does it work? Because, you know, it's not exactly like a pre-order. 
you know, and, and somebody gives you money, but are they really just kind of helping you fund the project and then they receive a reward or is it really and truly they're buying a, a good and so all the ta normal tax things apply? Yeah, I think this is something that has been quite contentious on Kickstarter. And I think it is it is an interesting debate because I do think the true intention of the platform is that you are supporting someone in an, in their effort to create something and by doing that you're receiving what sh or you're receiving something in return and i think the reality is that though the two things are separate to some extent i do think that it would be considered a transaction in the state size or in each state size um so the big thing that i saw that i think really did or the company that did a really good job of handling this was uh, Starling Games. I saw in their recent campaign, um, I think it was a War of Whispers, but it might have been one of their others. They included a nice little blurb about state taxes and that they would be collecting state taxes because they felt that they were obligated to do so and they didn't want to run amiss of any of the state governments because they can sometimes be even meaner than the IRS. Um, but uh, I, I do think it's something that it is important to be aware of. And it is something that I think if push came to shove and there was a big lawsuit, I do think that Kickstarter uh, creators would be or are responsible for sales tax. Um, but this is not something that has been necessarily brought up at a very high level. Um, so there's still an argument to be made. And I think at some point there may even be a legal case involving state tax, state sales tax and Kickstarter. Uh, and I'll be very interested to see what happens. Um, but it's it's good to be aware of and make certain that you're, you're in the right. Okay, gotcha. And absolutely, because not only is this potentially a moral or ethical issue, you know, you shouldn't avoid your taxes, especially not on purpose, but also the IRS, they're, they're going to get their money. Typically, yeah. they're pretty good at it. And something I think is very important for people to be aware of is that the IRS, as best I understand it, they don't have a dollar amount that they're chasing after when they do audits every year. They have a certain quota of the number of people to look into. And they typically don't spend a lot of time looking into really wealthy people, even though, you know, common sense would say really wealthy people who are avoiding their taxes. Well, that's that's who you should go after, because that's where you could potentially get a lot of money as the government. But wealthy people typically have really good lawyers and really good accountants. And honestly, they donated to the people who make the laws. And so honestly, the loopholes and tax write offs and other things benefit them because that's just the way the way things work. And this is a topic for a whole another conversation on probably a totally different podcast, but something to be aware of as a small fish, so to speak, as a smaller company, you are more likely to get audited because you probably don't have access to the lawyers or to the really good accountants. And you probably don't have the understanding or the information about all the ways to get around different taxes. And so you're more likely to get audited by the IRS because you're not a very big company or you're not a person making a ton of money. So keep that in mind, especially if you're going to knowingly do something shady, there's a good chance you're going to get uh, bitten for it. So just a, a little disclaimer right there. Uh, as far as hobby versus business, I think this is something else, especially when you're first getting started, you've got your little gaming company and it's just you and you've got your one game and you're working to put it on Kickstarter sometime soon. 
But at what point does the IRS look at you and go, yeah, this is really a hobby. It's not actually a business. And then they come after you in a, in a totally different way. Tell me about how that breaks down. Yeah. So this is something that is really worth considering, especially if you've been running your business, you've not yet been able to turn a profit and it's getting into, let's say you're, it's your third year of business. This is when the IRS starts flipping the switch and may start uh, honing in its radar on businesses that are actually hobby ventures. And the difference between the two is that businesses are able to deduct business losses and expenses on your tax return, but hobby ventures, you are unable to deduct losses or expenses on your tax returns. So it's a it's a pretty important tax distinction. So you think about those convention uh, fees that you paid, all of the home office expense uh, deductions you were using, those are not applicable to hobby ventures. So if you have not been profitable for two and a half years, I think you really have to do a good job of showing or proving to the IRS that you are in fact a business. Uh, profit's not the only thing you look they look at because you cannot be profitable but still be actively trying to make a profit. And that's really what they're wanting to see is that you're actively working towards making a profit. So good steps you can take to do that are maintaining solid accounting records like we talked about earlier, as well as ensuring that you keep all relevant permits and license up to date that we'd also mentioned. Set an alarm, make certain that you update or effectively pay for your business license each year. And then another big one that they consider is did you invest in marketing at all? Like, are you actually trying to sell anything or are you just doing this as a hobby, but like the benefit, the tax benefits of all of your business loss and expense uh, deductions that you can claim on your tax return? So big thing is, so long as you are working towards making a profit and you can prove that, uh, the IRS will have no problem. You can continue to operate your business. If you are not doing these things and it is a hobby, the IRS is going to be unhappy. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. Something to definitely be aware of. Now, when it comes to federal taxes versus state and local taxes, what are some things I need to be aware of or things I need to be thinking about? Yeah. So this is this is something that um, is quite interesting because there's taxes a lot like an onion. You've got layers. You've got the federal government. They're going to want to take their bite. And then you've got inside that, the next layer, you've got your state government that's also going to want to take a bite. And then you've got local taxes. They also want some of your money. So everyone, every government will always want your money in one way or another, and they'll make sure that they get it. So the biggest um, and arguably the most important tax return for your business is going to be your individual income tax return or the one you file every year, the IRS Form 1040. Uh, the added complication for smaller or for designers as well as small companies is going to be you're going to have to complete that Schedule C, which is effectively just the income statement or a listing of all of your incomes for the year for your business and expenses. And so that will give you your tax number. And then from a state and a local perspective, that that number will flow through into your uh, state and local tax return as well. Um, 
the big the big thing you're going to have to be aware of is corporate taxes for those bigger companies, those that have chosen to be taxed as corporations. That's where it gets more complicated at the state and the local level because uh, you'll you'll hear of some states that don't have a corporate income tax, like um, Texas, and other states will have quite high corporate income taxes. So I would say that if you're in a position where you are filing as a corporation, I would highly recommend consulting with a tax professional in your specific state because it is uh, it, it gets very complicated, especially with the uh, so many different states in the United States and then also so many different localities that also want a piece of the action. Right. And is it also the case where if I'm paying quarterly taxes to the federal government, I have to do the same thing at the state level or like when do I pay these other taxes? Yeah, I think generally I would say it's best just to do them together. If you pay quarterly at the federal level, it's typically best to pay quarterly at the state level just to keep everything in line. Now, I'm assuming I can just go through the Secretary of State's website and pay my taxes there and then also go through, you know, IRS.gov, I think is what it is, and pay separately the federal side. Can I, can I do it that way? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's typically the best way to do it is filing uh, filing your federal taxes in that manner. And then the state level, it's typically a little bit less organized and it will look a little bit less pretty. I think the IRS's website is uh, it's come a long, a long way over the years and a lot of states are still working to catch up, but uh, the filing method should be quite similar. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, what else? What are, what are some other things I need to be thinking about? Any of the little nuances or little things that people just aren't aware of typically starting out, anything like that? I don't know if I have any other little nuances. There are an infinite number of little nuances, but I would say just a general rule, taxes are very complicated and there's a lot of gray area, even for tax professionals. And I think the general rule in tax is if you're uncertain, it's always best to consult with a tax expert because they're going to make certain that you're on the right side of the law. And they're even going to, they typically will sign their name um, kind of as like a, a barrier between you and the IRS should anything um, be found to be amiss. So I think that's something that is really helpful, uh, both for me. Um, I consult with a tax expert, even though I know taxes quite well, because I think it provides me a little bit of extra certainty and it makes certain that I can, you know, in the end, sleep at night knowing that everything is in order, everything is fine. And it's also, um, I think just it's uh, good business practice to, to make certain that your taxes are in order. Yeah, absolutely. I am of the mindset that there is wisdom in many counselors. And so having other people look over your shoulder, even like you said, even if you are an accountant, even if you understand these things, just having somebody else to look over your stuff, especially because if it's your business, you might be a little bit too close to it. Just like if it's your board game, you might be too close to it and you need to go out and do some playtesting with strangers that people have never even heard of your game, never even heard of you, never read your rule book or anything, because they're going to see things that maybe you don't recognize or don't notice. So same kind of thing here. Well, wait, this has been great, man. Anything yeah. else? Any other uh, ideas you want to share? I think that's it for me. I would just say, though, that uh, if if anyone has any additional questions or any very kind of specific niche problems they're encountering or any tax issues they want to address or 
accounting issues or business issues, I'm always happy to answer questions. Um, I'd be happy to give my email as well, uh, if that's if that's all right. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's uh, Wade W A D E at Arena Games LLC dot com, and I uh, do a pretty good job of keeping up to date on that. So feel free to send me an email. Uh, my phone number is also listed on my uh, email tag. So once I respond, you could give me a call if you want to just uh, bounce an idea off me or have a tax thought that needs to get sorted out to uh, get everything in order. Uh, always happy to help. So just let me know. Very cool. And thanks for doing that. I'm sure that's going to be super helpful to some people out there that I know are going to be struggling with this kind of stuff. I struggled with it for a long time until I got a professional. I got someone in my corner who, you know, who I have to pay every year to help me. But at the same time, it is money very, very well spent. And hiring other people actually saved me a ton of my thousands upon thousands of dollars, way more than I've ever paid. I have saved. And so I think this is something just to be aware of and to make sure you have everything in order, both because it's the law and you want to make sure you're doing the right thing based on what the law says, but also because it's going to give you more time. I now spend much less time worrying about my taxes than I used to. It's not some kind of crazy thing at, in early April. I'm like, oh man, I got to do all this crazy work. No, now it's much smoother, much easier, even as my company has grown and more money has come in and different things. Also more money has gone out and different things to keep track of and be aware of. Just hiring somebody to have them on your side is hugely, hugely important. I highly recommend it. Well, wait, this has been excellent, man. Uh, you got a game on Kickstarter right now. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. It's called Poetic License. It's a whimsical word drafting and poem crafting card game for three to five, preferably preposterous poets. So each round you're constructing and narrating a silly poem in the hopes of earning snaps or victory points. And then after two rounds, the winner is the player with the most snaps. So I've absolutely loved developing and testing Poetic License because it's incredibly fun for all ages and making silly poems and sharing them with others is just a great way to spark laughter and conversation in a wholesome way. So Poetic License is going to launch on Kickstarter on March 30th and it's only $19. So pretty, pretty good deal. Nice. Now, was that game in the top 10 of the BGDO contest? Yeah, it was. That was its, uh, its, birthplace was board game design lab contest i built it for that and it's uh now come full circle so hopefully we'll see it uh fund on kickstarter that's awesome i'm so glad to see that i love it when games are in the contest and either get picked up by publishers or they find their way onto the market through self-publishing or something like that i love to see people in the board game design lab community being successful going out and doing really cool things in the community and in the gaming industry in general. So Wade, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter campaign and good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Awesome, Gabe. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?